The Dental Download Podcast is your source for insight into dental school, conversations with dentists, specialists, and leaders in the industry. With new episodes every Monday morning, I'm your host, Haley Schultz. Let's get into this week's episode. Hello, everyone. Happy Monday. Welcome back to another episode of the Dental Download Podcast. I am thrilled this week to be joined by Dr. Paul Goodman of Dental Nachos and Practicing General Dentist. But before we get into that, I'm going to do my typical intro and let you know what was going on in dental school this past week for me. So we started a new class this week, treatment planning. We've kind of had an intro to treatment planning in some of our other clinical courses, like comprehensive care clinic is a class that we've had every semester of D1 years, so three times already. And this is just diving deeper into the specifics of treatment planning. And we have some fake patient cases, and we're learning how to enter them into Axiom and prepare for different possible dental outcomes based on the patient's overall health and some unique conditions that they may have depending on the different cases. And I'm doing quite a bit of assisting this week. So I have two normal assisting sessions and I also assisted in the grad perio clinic. So the specialty clinic at our school for the first time, as well as did my final radiology rotation of the semester. And at the end of this week, I had a final in cardiovascular system and I also had a class social event going to a Detroit Tigers game on Friday night so that was very fun as well that's pretty much everything that went on this week though I can expand a little bit on grad perio but I don't want to take up too much time so we are assigned to do rotations in the specialty clinics all throughout dental school this was our first experience in the specialty clinics and it was really interesting because I'd never seen advanced periodontal cases really because our assisting has been primarily in the undergrad clinic with the other dental students d3s and d4s so anyone with really advanced periodontal status obviously gets referred to the specialty clinics so it was the most calculus I've ever seen it was deepest pockets I've ever helped record and we were perio charting and for one of the patients that I was assisting on I assisted three that day because it was a four-hour session So one of them, I was able to see the use of the 3D scanner to take some digital impressions that are going to be used in conjunction with the CBCT scans to do digital implant placement planning so that they can do a same-day implant and extraction appointment. So I thought all that was very interesting. That's pretty much everything that's been going on in dental school for me as a D2 at University of Michigan this past week. So now we can get into the main episode with Dr. Paul Goodman. Hi, everyone. So we have another guest here. We have Dr. Paul Goodman. I'm just going to let him introduce himself a little bit first. Thanks so much for having me, Haley. I am uh, Paul Goodman. I have a lot of roles in life. Uh, I'm a dentist. I'm a dad, a husband. I'm founder of Dental Nachos, practice broker. Uh, I affectionately call myself a mad, a medium-age dentist. I've been out of dental school for, for between 10 and 25 years. So I graduated in 2002 from Penn Dental School. So I like to create, I feel we have perio classifications. All of them are pretty negative too, Haley. Best you can do is mild gingivitis. I feel like we need more positive classifications. But what I have come up with is how we kind of, there's a circle of dentisting life that we all go on. And I think we should pay attention to what affects us in each part of this journey, all the way from baby age dentists and training, like dental students. I say that with the kindest affection. It doesn't have anything to do with people's age or skills, just you know, you're a dental student, Haley, you know, people in your class are probably 25 and also 
40, which I think is cool, very cool. But we all start our dental, we all start our real world career the day we leave dental school. So I like to be kind of a friend and ally and supporter on that journey. Awesome. So I guess before we get into talking about dental nachos, which is a big part of what you do, first, I just want to talk a little bit about your practicing as a dentist. So um, I know you work in two practices. Are you an associate at both? Do you have ownership? How does that look? So they are mine. I cannot return them. So you cannot. Okay. It's just like a child. They're non-returnable. Uh, at the end, you can sell them. You can't sell a child. You can sell a practice at the end. So I'm a practice owner in two practices with my brother in Pennington, New Jersey, in Ewing, New Jersey, Mercer County, New Jersey, PenningtonDentalCenter.com. People want to look at it or EwingDental.com. So uh, I joined my dad in practice after my multi-year general practice residency in 2004. So I really enjoyed my general practice residency. My dad did the Air Force after dental school. And he said, don't come right to practice. Private practice is not going anywhere. Learn in other environments. But what he actually really shared, and he was a great mentor, awesome dad, awesome friend, unfortunately passed away a few years ago, but feel so lucky to have worked with him. And he said, you know, learn you know, I was going to go back to my hometown and be a dentist, right? It's a lot of pressure. You're seeing your gym teacher from seventh grade. He did the Air Force and he didn't get any instruction, but he got a lot, of, a lot of practice. So when you do the Air Force, they're just like, go see dentists from the Air Force. And they're supposed to be people to teach you, but they have their own patients. He said, this GPR thing is awesome because the key for a GPR hailer, your AGD, that I just would like to share is the dentists who come teach, they don't have their own patients and they're there just to teach you. So it's a really great transition between dental school and private practice. So I did that uh, multi-year GPR. Then I joined my dad in practice, bought into that practice. Since that time, I'm a kind of a business oriented type guy. I also like growth. So we bought multiple other practices. So now we have two locations. Technically, I purchased four practices along the way. So I can talk a little bit about that. Because some of the things I would do again and some of the things I would not do again. So I encourage you and your listeners, I'm sure you have them in all ages and stages, but the best question you can ask as a parent, as a, as a dentist, as a leader is to go to people who are doing what you want to do and don't always say, how can I do it? Say, if you were going to do this again, what would you do differently? And that's such valuable feedback because I might say, I should have looked into buying this second practice in more detail. We overpaid for it, which is very true. Because it's 2011, there was no dental nachos, there was no podcast, there was just me and the broker. So you can learn a lot by asking people to role model what they've done, but also what they would do differently if they went back. That's awesome that you're able to manage so many things. Um, I guess building on what we were talking about, what do you think is, I guess it's going to vary for every person, but a realistic timeline to getting into ownership as a general practitioner. I know we just talked about it's great to maybe do some kind of residency, how soon after that do you think someone's prepared to own a practice? I, I, I love that question. And it's such a good one for people to talk more about. My good friend, Mark Costas, talks about uncomfortable conversations lead to growth. So when someone says, oh, you can buy right out of dental school, to me, that's not uh, what I would recommend for most people. And it doesn't mean it's impossible for people to do it. But I think being an associate, I describe it as being the aunt or uncle of a practice. I have a six and a two-year-old and the owner is the parent. And one of the great parts of being an aunt or uncle, I'm an uncle, is that when my sister's awesome children are having a meltdown, I say, you own this one, you come and deal with it. 
So as a practice owner, when the you know, proverbial toilet breaks or your server goes down, when you're an associate, it doesn't mean you don't care. It just means that it's not your responsibility at that time. So you can focus on dentistry. Again, you can learn what you want to do, what you don't want to do. I mean, maybe you're someone who thinks that you never want to work in an, you never want to own an insurance-based practice and you find out that's the perfect fit for you. An insurance-based practice that's fast paced. I mean, I, I have the Mexican restaurant vibe like a Chipotle, right? Where you make really good food, but it's not high end. Doesn't mean it's bad. You just get to learn about different business models. But if someone said Dennis love details, Haley, they love numbers. I would say as a practice broker selling practices, I'm most often selling a dental practice to someone who's three to eight years out of dental school. Three to eight years is most often when people become a practice owner, in my experience. People also say this, Haley, uh, dental school can have a lot of great points. I know I share some challenges about dental school, but there can be a lot of great points. Uh, using data and using studies to learn is great, but stories are important too. So when people say, Paul, you don't know every dentist on earth, that's true. I don't really know if I want to know every dentist, but I know a lot who are doing this thing, like buying a practice. So I think one of the things that this has shown with social media is everybody has an opinion, but people's opinions are different by what they do. So I want to use this example. When we are dentists and our patient says, I don't need a crown because you're just trying to rip me off. My professional opinion is, is better than that patient's, right? They're not a dentist. Now, if a dental student would say, I'm not sure if I need a crown, maybe they have an opinion. They're not a dentist yet. So getting back to this business world, there's no studies. There's no data. There's just stories of people living in this world. So I encourage you, your listeners, to find people who are doing this every day, an attorney, an accountant, a financial coach, a practice broker, and just ask them really good questions and find out if working with them is a right fit for you. Because I will use another good example, Haley, that most people who use a personal trainer are in better shape than people who don't use a personal trainer. Now, it's not impossible not to be in good shape, but what does a personal trainer do? They hold you accountable. They work with people who are looking to get in shape every day, and they're staying up to date on workout programs. So use kind of some of that uh, concept into hiring coaches and consultants to help you with your career. Yeah, I thought of two other questions while you were talking. Um, so you're recommending working as an associate for a few years if that looks like the best thing to do. How, I guess, do you know if you're getting a position that's going to be beneficial for you versus not? I know it's different for everybody, but. talk about this at our Nacho Team meeting. Yeah. So finding a job in dentistry is a lot like dating. Whether we have apps or don't have apps, whether it's the 1950s or the 2020s, you're entering into a relationship with somebody and you really don't know that much about them, but you try to use a checklist of things that might think, are they a good person to date? Is this a good job to get? The challenging part is dating is way easier because if you go on a bad date, you can just go home and watch Netflix and drink wine. That sounds very fun. If you get into a bad job, it's very hard to leave it because your livelihood's at stake. So how do you know is one, uh, take CE, uh, read good books on this. If there are good books, listen to good podcasts because finding a job in dentistry from dental school or residency is challenging. We're not a connected community. Dental Nachos just came into existence a few years ago, and a lot of these things did. So I was trying to help residents do this from years ago. So one, listen to podcasts, take CE, get your face out there, go to in-person CE, meet people. Two, learn what are good questions to ask. So here's an example. This is hopefully valuable, or maybe a fourth year or a resident, uh, GPR grad coming up. Hey, Dr. Haley, in your practice, I know you want an associate. Just was curious, so I make sure I'm a good fit. How long do people take to do a crown on number 30? Such a good question. 
if I was here, how much time would I get to do a crown of number 30? Such a good question. So then you, the owner, say, everyone does a crown in 30 minutes, start to finish. That's going to be a problem for you. I'm not saying it's a bad office. I'm not saying they can't do it. I'm saying your speed isn't going to be there. Now, if they say, I'll use my office as an example. Someone asked me, I say, hey, we give 90 minutes for that. But if you need two hours where you get started, it's okay. We can work that into our fee structure. Now, if you tell me it's going to take you four hours to do a crown, that's a problem because we can't stay in business to do that. So asking good questions like that to determine. But the golden nacho advice I can give is go and observe at that office before you take a job. Because like dating, Haley, I don't know what your friends tell you, if anyone's dating or people you know, have you ever heard people are on their best behavior on a date and then later they don't act that way in the relationship? Has that, has that been an experience you've ever heard, right? Yeah, <laughs> definitely. So when a dental practice owner is interviewing you and it's not a bad thing, they're going to highlight all the positive. They're going to be, they're, they're going to sometimes misremember the challenges, but nobody can fake in-game stuff. So just say, hey, Dr. Paul, I would love to come work at your, I would love to come observe at your office. I'm not into working interviews, just observe for half a day. You don't have to pay me. I just want to make sure I'm a good fit for you. Then when you come into our office on a Tuesday afternoon from 12 to five, you're going to see exactly what goes on. And you're going to say, this is the type of place I could work. This isn't the type of place I could work. You're looking for red flags. Like they're not sterilizing stuff, right? They're not giving enough time, right? I'm not trying to be negative in any way, but this is your license too. So you want to find an environment where you can survive and thrive, but then also not be overly optimistic about how good things are supposed to go. I think what would be cool, Haley, and you, you're welcome to come sometime. You can come to my practice. and I work uh, Mondays and Wednesdays now. I used to work more. And those were your questions. So the way to be able to do a lot of things is replace yourself. Rob Montgomery, my podcast partner, dentalamigos.com, he helped me with this five years ago. He says, Paul, you want to do more things? You got to replace yourself. So I had to replace myself with associates at the practice to do some of the restorative dentistry. But I was there Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday this week. So I'm still in my office dentisting, as I like to call it. I do, we do have multiple dentists in our practice. So we get the opportunity to kind of focus on what we like to do. So I've kind of created a sub-focus. So most of the things I do are with restoring dental implants and building large cases for our specialists. Um, I don't do many class twos, don't do many crown preps right now. I like to share that joy with the other dentists. Why should I hog it all? Maybe, maybe my associate loves to do class twos. I'm just joking to some degree. But it's so important to see if that fit, just like a restaurant, is the right fit for you. And not enough dentists do that. And then poignantly, Haley, as the nacho guy, I don't know how this happened, but I, there's this, there was this column called Dear Abby before you were born where they wrote into this Dear Abby woman with problems, okay? My kid doesn't do this. My spouse doesn't do this, my blah, blah, blah. Dental nachos has this vibe where people write into me and say, is this normal at my job? And I'm like, no, it's not normal. Not getting paid, not getting an assistant, some things that are unethical, probably on borderline illegal. And I just know that if they talked to me before they took that job, I probably could have given them, this is a great book for your listeners, The Checklist Manifesto. I could have given them a checklist of what to say to identify a giant red flag. That makes sense. And I know we, I've seen some of your posts recently about having lawyers look over your contracts and all that. That's like the very basics, I think, of yeah. getting a job. But then you also want to worry about fit and everything if you're looking between a few options. Lawyers going to protect you from a lot of mm -hmm. bad legal stuff, but lawyers don't know how long it takes to do a crown prep. Lawyers aren't going to know about it. Ask to observe. Don't ask to be paid. You will get a great sense. And it's either going to, you know, what I don't understand, um, Haley, is dentists and, you know, we go to dental schools, normal as people, and then it kind of twists our brain in this bad way. Like be open-minded and flexible. Say, oh, 
this job might be good. Let me find out more. I call it JFO, just find out. Let me find out more, open-minded. It's where I want to live. It's where I want to be. Let me see, and I'll go observe there and be open to learning something. What happens with me is people get emotionally invested into something, and it's hard to walk them back. This happens with an outfit going out to a party, a wedding dress, dating someone, or a job. If they walk too far down the road of being invested, like, Paul, I signed this contract for this office. Do you think it's a good job? I'm like, this is a really hard answer now because you're right. If you came to me earlier in the process, so go early in the process, get as many options as possible, be an associate for a few years, and then look into practice ownerships if that's the right fit for you. And it might not be the right fit. Staying an associate long-term could be the right fit. Yeah, I guess following up about working as an associate, one more question. A lot of people are obviously very concerned about starting to earn an income, paying off their loans. And in theory, you can earn a lot more money owning a practice rather than working as an associate. But do you feel like doing those couple years after graduation to get your speed up to learn what you like would have a better payoff in the end for opening your practice and maybe being more successful faster? It's an outstanding question. The experience, not, first of all, not all experience is good experience. Not all experience is good experience. Secondly, when I graduated from one of the, if, if, if I was interviewed by the, somebody who wanted to know about dentistry and they said, what is the biggest problem in dentistry? Can you explain it to me, Paul? What is the biggest problem facing the dental profession? I can explain it in one sentence. This is it. What dentists are paid out of dental school in 2021 is the exact same amount I was paid in 2002, but it costs three times as much to go to dental school. End of my talking. Now, the, the why for that has to do with dental insurance, has to do with so many different things. But getting good experience for a journey, I call it dentisting basketball. I know it's not audio, but I always have this basketball to represent my failed dreams of playing in the NBA. But to play basketball for 40 years, you want to develop solid fundamentals. So making the most money possible doesn't always give you those opportunities. Doesn't mean it's bad. Also, Haley, DSOs have changed the game because there are, watch this. I get calls all the time. Paul, I want to buy practice. Okay, great. I have a practice. It does $800,000 a year. The owner makes $280,000. After your loan, you're going to make two hundred. dollars Okay. They go, Paul, I make $300,000 a year as an associate for a DSO. I don't want to take a step back in income. I'm like, well, your associateship is awesome, but you have no ownership. See, my friends and I, this is a really important point, and we were lucky for this, very lucky. Everybody who bought a practice made more money buying the practice than when they were an associate. The associate world has become contaminated financially by DSOs. I work with DSOs all the time. I headhunt for DSOs. I help dentists. That's my main thing. If it helps a dentist to work at a DSO, awesome. If it helps a dentist work in private practice, but I'll share that DSOs buy practices of successful practices. Then they replace the owner who is making $350,000 a year with a younger dentist. Now this younger dentist can earn $300,000 or $350,000 a year, technically being an associate. So the challenge is the making money as a practice owner has been shifted to it's not always the most money will make. So if that's the most important to you, that may not be the right fit. If ownership is important, flexibility is important, being your own boss is important, that's ownership. It also comes with tremendous responsibility, never being able to turn it off. It's like a child that never grows up. I say having a practice is having a three-year-old. They happen to have a two-and-a-half-year-old that never grows up. Want to know why? When you have a three-year-old, you get a ton of attention. People love you. Oh, look at your child. It's so cute. They don't always see when your child's having a meltdown at, at, the, at the house. 
So it's, it's balancing that as an owner. And I just think we should talk about it more. And it's really awesome that you have this podcast to bring this to life, because I think there's a misrepresentation about how good it is to own a dental practice. Yeah. And I feel like every time I talk to people and just the more research I'm doing, I'm like, that is so much work. Like people don't think about every little thing you have to do just to like keep up with your overhead, even like for some people, that's a struggle, which is crazy. Um, I guess one last thing about um, dental students, I guess, how do you think that dental students can best set themselves up to be successful, given that we kind of have had a step back in our clinical experience, at least over the past year? Couple ways. So first, uh, I want to make, make it clear that I know the job of dental schools is very difficult, but I also know the job of any organization is constantly striving to do better. So I think there is a disconnect between the dental school teaching and what happens in the real world. So what I would share with dental students is look to get real world training skills. I'll describe this for your audience. I always talk about to avoid crying inside, develop your dentist core. And your dentist core is your mind skills, your word skills, and your hand skills. And dental school focuses way too much on hand skills. So for some reason, they think by making you prep a crown, that's going to help you be successful. That's important. But also, how do you talk to patients and the people in your office? How do you make business decisions? It is nacho nuts, Haley, that there isn't a course in dental school, how dental insurance works. Because when you go to, for that job and they say, hey, Haley, we have a, a, a PPO, spoiled guac PPO. I don't take it as the owner, but you should take it to beat some patients. And the crowns here are $1,200. If you don't know to ask this one question to prevent your back from being hurt, being stressed in your mind, oh, I hear about the spoiled guac PPO. What do they reimburse for a crown, okay? So if I have a $1,200 crown fee, that's not my real crown fee, I'm just using an example. And I hire an associate, Dr. Haley, to take spoiled guac PPO, and they only pay $600 for a crown, your life's gonna be terrible. Because if you notice, like if you've ever been to Taco Bell, it's like 2 a.m., everyone's been drinking, you're like, I'm gonna go to Taco Bell and get a 99 cent taco, right? We know what Taco Bell is as a restaurant, would you say? We know what Chipotle is as a restaurant. We know if you come to Philly, we have Elvez, where I love my favorite nacho place, high-end nachos. Nobody gets this messed up in restaurants, Haley. Taco Bell, when you walk in, you know what you're going to expect. They don't sell Taco Bell inside of Elvez or Elvez inside of Chipotle. So when you mix business models under the same roof, I would encourage dental students to ask a lot of good questions about insurance, learn about patient communication. And this is a tough one. If you're not going to be a specialist, get worse grades and put more time in developing your core. I, I love Instagram. I know I'm not as cool as all you guys and all your stuff, but one, I will never forget this story. And it was so poignant. I was doing a series, how not to burn your nachos and buying a dental practice or finding a job. It was totally free. And it was on Sunday nights. And I was with, at the park with my family. They were over somewhere and I was Instagramming people. And I was trying to look for people who are in dental school. And I remember this one ADA girl who was awesome I was, and I don't, I forget her name. Let's say it's Katie. I was like, hey, Katie, I'm doing this thing tonight. You should watch in, you should watch in. It's going to be great. And tell your friends about it. And she's like, this is awesome, Paul or Dr. Nacho. But we have like a biochem test. And I actually would tell her, study for 30 less minutes and watch this webinar. Because you can't just, it's like exercise. You can't just work on like bicep curls and leave the rest of your body go. Then when you're done with dental school, say, oh, I, I practice all this clinical stuff not enough of my mind, words, and hands. So that is my advice. Learn about dental insurance, learn about talking to patients, learn about making business decisions. There's going to be no easy way to learn it, but I think you've taken some nacho C courses and stuff. 
there's so much free stuff out there for students. You just got to grab it. Yeah, I totally agree. That's one other thing I wanted to mention. Obviously, at least for me, it feels like certain CE is kind of over my head being early in dental school, but some things like you mentioned insurance or communication or just about the business stuff, I don't think you need much clinical knowledge about, like you're saying, are there any like CE courses that you feel like are just like essential to start out with? Oh yeah. I mean, there's, there's, I mean, not just what Dental Nachos does. There's so many good platforms out there. There's Spear, there's Coist, there's Panky, there's Dawson. But one of the things I'll encourage you, and I got this from a mentor is for every clinical course, take a practice management course. So don't just write, but I will share with you. I say this at Nachos all the time. You're learning a language of dentistry. This is so important. And you should take, we have something coming up with Dr. Jason Smithson. And I know it might be past this podcast. He's high level veneers and you guys can all watch in for free. And I know there'll be second year dental students who say, this isn't for me. And I say, yes, it's for you. Just hearing the words and saying the words, this is the language of your livelihood. So it doesn't matter if you didn't prep a number nine yet, you still absorb awesome information by seeing one of the world's best dentists brought to you on Zoom. I mean, I don't want to sound like the crotchety old guy, but I just want to know, we didn't have this back in 2002. If our four friends didn't know the answer to something, there was no dental clinical pearls. There was no dental school probs, Instagram account making me laugh. Uh, who I love that guy. Uh, there was no dental nachos. So what I'm sharing is sometimes you just have to think differently and say, I'm just using this as an example. Dental nachos is having a course on anterior cosmetics. I've never prepped the tooth. Part of my brain wants to say, I'll learn this later. But the one that's going to help me grow is going to say, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to listen to this dentist superstar. And even though I won't know 80% of the words, something will get into my mind that will help me. So all those things, Dentalpreneur podcast with Dr. Mark Costas, awesome business stuff. I mean, some of the things that you learn about being a leader have literally nothing to do with being a dentist. And in fact, being a dentist makes you a worse leader because dentists get into analysis paralysis. If you notice, this is, I mean, if, if people want to, maybe this will be a super successful podcast and in 10 years from now, I'll have a million downloads, Haley, and someone might listen to this. Leadership is about figuring out what most likely is going to go right, not worrying about what could go wrong. And dental school teaches us a lot to over-focus on what could go wrong, and it really messes up our decision-making skills. So we shouldn't be cavalier and not worry about risk. I worry about risk, but we should, and one of my phrases, we should test more. We should test, not guess. And I just wish dental school would promote more mental flexibility. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I'd like to kind of transition now to talk a little bit more about you specifically and your dental nachos and everything. So when you graduated, did your GPR, started working with your dad. How long after that did you go into purchasing another practice? And then you said quite further down the line, you started up dental nachos. Yeah. Uh, So from 2005 to 2010, I was practicing with my dad, focusing a lot on implants. I taught one of the things I love doing. I taught with this company, Hyacinth, how to teach dentists how to place their first dental implant. I love speaking. I ran a, a study club called the Rising Dentist Study Club of Philadelphia. This is in 2005. So does this sound familiar? So I ran the study club. I printed out the little brochures on my Mac. I mailed it to people. Here was the mission of our study club, okay? Let's all get together early in our career so we don't hate each other when we're older. Does that sound like dental nachos, right? So it was this was always in me. I was just doing it locally. So I was running study clubs, teaching, but also lecturing. 2011, we had a chance to buy another practice. Buying a second practice, you have to really have your first practice operating well, not perfectly, just well. I wanted to create a bigger platform. My brother was joining us. So that was a good reason to do that. 
uh, in 2012, then we bought another practice that we merged into that. So I was very busy running those practices, working at those practices. I always was a contributor on the site Dentaltown. One of the things about Dentaltown, I've been interviewed by Howard Fran. I think he's very brilliant for what he created. But excuse me, maybe you could see this. When people can anonymously post online, they control more. And when people, when I would type something about implants and someone would hate on me, it wasn't, they didn't say my name is Haley. They said, my name's Molar Roller123 from Anytown USA. So Dentaltown, I stopped posting on because there was a lot of anonymous junk, so to speak, but it still was a great site. But that was my version of trying to share on social media. 2017 was when dental Facebook groups started to become kind of popular, right? And I started Del Nachos in February 2017. And I just, my, my Mrs. Nacho, she loves that name. She helped me come up with a name because I do love Mexican food, worked in a Mexican food restaurant. And I thought that, hey, I'm a broker, I'm a speaker, I'm a dentist. Uh, I, I have a lot of toppings. I'll call it dental nachos because it was a bunch, it was a, a mix of a bunch of different things like nachos. And then, I mean, the metaphor for it is people love getting nachos, right? You, with their friends but you have to share them sharing. Right. And it gets messy, but hopefully it's fun. So that's kind of what I wanted dental nachos to be a safe space for the dental community. I'm an enormous Mr. Rogers fan. So if I can, if I can compare myself to that mode, a Mr. Rogers neighborhood for dentistry, where maybe you're a little too young for absorbing Mr. Rogers in his prime, but you can go back and watch those movies, Haley, everything he talked about back in the 1980s is still the exact same problems we have today racism issues, um, gun control issues. I mean, he was just making it for kids and the whole world was watching in. What he did is just was so brilliant in that, you know, making kids feel good about themselves, but also having uncomfortable conversations. So that was my message of doing Del Nachos. And then of course, I didn't expect it to grow with what it grew to. I'm super excited, but I had to work once, once that grows, I work less clinically, do practice brokering. I like doing a lot of different things. Kind of like, you know, to use my theme, not your ordinary dentist. Like most dentists like to work four days a week in their practice, awesome at what they do, go home, don't think about dentistry, and then, then you know, repeat the next week. That would be drive me nacho nuts. I like this sort of friendly tornado type life I've created. So working as a broker, is that like, did you have to go to some kind of licensing program or something to be I doing did that? Not, I did not, which is why broker world is so crazy. Okay. If you want to practice from a dual representation broker, that should be illegal. I mean, a dual representation broker claims they can represent you and the seller in a transaction. I work just for one side when I'm a broker. There's no barriers to entry. So because of that, you get a lot of irresponsible activity in the space. So brokers can cause major problems. It is the time in your life where you need to be protected by a team of advisors. Doesn't mean don't work with brokers, just means really, really, so I hope that I'm creating responsible information, trying to create C on it. I'm gonna do a program, how to buy your first dental practice. When I work with dentists, I tell them authentically, I'm not working for you, I'm working for the seller, but I'm working with you, I'm working with you, I'm trying to help, help you buy this practice, but you need to get your own team because I believe that's one of the biggest weaknesses in our profession is that the brokerage world is just can be, uh, I'll say it as diplomatically as possible, have a lot of irresponsible people without people's best interest in mind. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So you obviously do a lot of stuff these days. What is your like typical week? How do you distribute all your different responsibilities? 
I mean, I've made this phrase, the Amazoning of dentistry is a negative thing because I feel like, you know, you go on Amazon, you have protein powder, you want to buy $30 versus $25. Patients go and they go, this dentist charges 200 for a filling. I want to go to one that charges 110. So I think the Amazoning of dentistry is commoditized dentistry. I'm not the, I don't know if I'm the first person to say that. I've started this other ways, but I was known for this. But Amazon has a lot of brilliance to it. And Jeff Bezos, who I know some people think he's the most amazing person in the world. I know some people think he's an evil genius. He's probably somewhere in between, but he's changed how we do things, right? How we buy things. And one of his quotes is the modern day person didn't say about dentistry is going to kind of always be working, but not working can spend time with their family cannot. And that's me a lot when I'm not at my dental office. So typical days I get up early now, like 5.30 AM. I always get coffee. I do like two hours of creative work. People probably see, I make videos. I do Facebook posts before the world. I call emails and texts throwing tennis balls at me. So I get up and do that. Then I have a, a nacho team. So behind me, I couldn't do anything without a team. So I have a full-time uh, business development person. I have full-time client services, full-time operations. All the things that we produce create a lot of uh, work behind the scenes. So it truly is a startup company. So founder of a startup is exciting, but also creates a lot of anxiety. I do the transitions brokerage, which is part of what I do. So all these things, Haley, which is cool, I can do on the run. I can do it from my phone. So sometimes like I'm standing at Nacho headquarters, my studio, sometimes I'm at a park, sometimes at a meeting, but then I go to my dental office on Mondays and Wednesdays where I dentist, but I've created a life where I get to focus on some of the things that are really flat out doing implant restoratives. It's easier than doing a filling. So to me, the clinical stress, I've been able to manage that and make it lower because I have a prosthodontist work with us, a periodontist. I'm a big team person. I want dentists to work together. Hopefully I'm role model. We have nine dentists that work in our practices. So when you have a team working for you, it gives you a lot of schedule flexibility. But I want to share with everyone, you make less money when this happens. The most money you can make work by yourself, two hygienists, you, a dental assistant, a front desk person, that will be the most revenue. But to me, that would be the most stress associated with it because I would feel like I'm on my own Islander cave the whole time. Mm -hmm. I guess one thing I always think about because my brain's always spinning like what I want to do after graduation. Obviously, I want to have some clinical component, but I feel like I'm called to kind of do something else as well. But you started your practice, you're with your brother, but they're still kind of like your thing. And then also dental nachos. Do you, I guess at the beginning, did you find it hard to start outsourcing things and giving up roles? Or is that something that kind of came naturally to you? One of the things I worked in a restaurant industry and there was these two brothers on these restaurants in Princeton and they know how to do every job in the office. So I know how to do every job in my dental office. So I may not do them and I might not know, oh, you know, how we package every instrument, but I know how it gets done. So I am not a micromanager, but I learn every single job from assistant to front desk. And I'm, I am very good with delegating and I'm very patient with people making errors and me correcting them. So then I don't have to do it. So yes, in the beginning, I was totally absorbed in building a dental practice. There's just different phases of our lives. I mean, it, it could just be fun. I mean, life can be very long. So it's like, maybe you do a GPR AGD and you, I would recommend this for your listeners though, especially in 2021, Get good on, at one thing that's not regular general dentistry. So here's an example. You have to find, you have to like it a little, right? Like my dad was an awesome dentist and he was great, but he's like, he didn't wake up every day. He's like, hooray, another filling. I'm living my dream, right? We have this way too much. Like he, he was glad he became a dentist, glad he was his own boss, but it's work. But if you go to work, you might as well like something a little bit. And I really like implants, but other people might not like implants. You might like root canals. You might like sleep apnea. You might like cosmetic dentistry. 
You might like ortho, but all those things, Haley, they're productive, patient-centered productivity. So if you're like, hey, I really like RPDs, I'm like, hey, you should find something new to like because that's not super productive. So find one patient-centered and productive thing and get good at it. Ortho, implants, endo, cosmetic dentistry, sleep apnea would be my five. Um, if you made me pick the top two, implants and sleep apnea, because I don't do anything about sleep apnea, have someone do it, but I see that as we don't treat our careers like a real business, Haley. What, what, what's something that you should be responsibly concerned about, right? So you like me and you like the dental nachos message, but some people don't know me. They say, oh, you scare people. But if you came to Center City, Philadelphia, and I was like, hey, Haley, just wander around at midnight. You shouldn't be scared. I'm like, you should be responsibly concerned. This is a city. You have to. So what should you be responsibly concerned about as a general dentist? What you learn in school, people need less and less of each year. People need less crowns, less fillings, less partial dentures. They need more and more of implants, soft tissue grafting, sleep apnea, ortho. So if we look at our careers as a business, let's learn something that people are going to need more. I had a great analogy for this when I taught implants, and I made it like cell phones. If I was like, hey, do you want to be a, a cordless phone salesperson? You'd be like, nobody even has them in their house. I was like, do you want to sell smartphones? They do, because it's, it's going up and up. So that is my advice to a general dentist. Find, don't try to be good at five different things. It's impossible. Find one thing. If you're such a talented person, there's some that you're really good at implants, and then you want to turn and learn ortho, do it. But don't try to learn implants and ortho at the same time. Pick one. Do you place your implants or are you just doing the restorative portion? It's um, The answer to this for me is a little loaded because I okay. placed hundreds and hundreds of implants. And if I never did Dr. Nacho stuff, I would be doing more and more. When I had to dial back and bring specialists in the office, I don't place them in my office anymore because I have a periodontist and a prosthodontist that I can put in their schedule. If I was only clinical, I would say learning to place some of your own implants is the best decision you can make for your morale and money, for your happiness and your money. Learn to do some, learn to refer some. So I was on track earlier in my career to do the easy and medium cases, teach people the easy and medium cases. But since I kind of turned into this multifaceted nacho guy, I now have our periodontist and prosthodontist do it. But if they, I mean, if they left the practice, like we're out of here, Paul, I'm just leaving forever. I would go back to doing them because I really actually enjoyed them. It's just that if you want to build a real business, not just a job, at some point you have to give some stuff up. And that's some of the things I've given up recently, but I highly recommend learning to place some of your own implants. And then I guess one quick question about the sleep apnea. Is that treatment just like mouth guards for sleeping or is there a lot more that goes into it? Like surgical uh, even possibly. Hopefully no one takes this the wrong way when I say it, but like orthodontists, are they really dentists? Cause they don't use a needle, right? So like orthodontists, like they don't make anyone numb. Are they still dentists? And I say this because orthodontics is this thing over here. I had ortho as a kid, right? Where they straighten people's teeth. What does it really have to do with dentistry when by, by and large? It's related to dentistry, general dentistry, okay? But general dentistry is about restoring stuff, structural breakdown. Of course, the orthodontist has to work with the general dentist. But most of the time, Haley, I see a 13 and 14 year old, they go to the orthodontist and they come back with straight teeth and I'm not involved at all, Okay. They're never like, hey, Paul, should I move the bracket over here? I'm like, hey, I have no idea, okay? So sleep apnea is similar. It's 
moving the tongue into a position where people can breathe better at night. This is just a very basic way. So they make an appliance that moves the tongue to a position where people can breathe better. A CPAP, a doctor will come and say, CPAP is a gold standard, but you know, it doesn't help people. So if you have sleep apnea and you stop breathing at night and you don't get enough oxygen, but you have a CPAP, right? Um, think of it like a seatbelt. Seatbelt doesn't work if you don't wear the seatbelt. So most people don't wear the CPAP because CPAP, it, not most people, a significant portion don't wear it because it's like a Darth Vader mask. So the oral appliance with dentists have gotten involved in has become a way to help patients feel good about yourself and currently could change super productive. So medical insurance currently is paying for these appliances. I think medical insurance is smart because if you're a medical insurance person, Haley, you want your people to be healthy and not sleeping and not getting enough oxygen, all these things leads to worse health. So currently Dennis, but there's medical billing involved. You have to invest in your education. Just was on the phone with an awesome female dentist this morning. Who's like a few years younger than me. And she said the hardest thing dental students have to realize she's very smart because she interviews associates is that they have to invest probably another hundred thousand dollars into their education early in their career. And no one's giving you a loan for that. That's, that's why the GPR and AGD is magic. Think of a GPR and AGD as being paid to do a year of CE. It is such a good year. Your life is long, plenty of time to do it. So though, that's my kind of nacho toppings of clinical stuff that I would recommend for general dentists. Awesome. This has been super helpful. I guess I just want to wrap up giving you a chance if you have any closing thoughts or like final piece of advice you want to give to dental students specifically. For sure. Love this. First, I think you're awesome for doing this and sharing this type of stuff. I've seen who you've had in this podcast. I know it's a, like a labor of love to do these podcasts. So super awesome doing this. <clears throat> Dental students have so much in their face and in their future, in their face, in their future, that I don't, I'm probably messing up the analogy, but can't see the forest from the trees, can't see the big treatment plan. So if you think of your life like a treatment plan, think of these four major decisions, finding a job, buying a practice, hiring an associate and selling your practice. I talk about the four major decisions in the circle of dentisting life. And in the times of memorizing the Krebs cycle and waxing up teeth and drilling on, in pre-clinic and listening to your instructors, remember that these four things are pretty much the same for most dentists. And trying to get insight and learning early is valuable. I'm gonna use this example because I'm someone from the 80s and I have a fairly good body image, but in the 80s, we were told to eat processed junk and it was healthy. We were told that. Eat processed junk, it's healthy. It was a whole, if you look back at this, in the 1980s, they had all this stuff, Prego spaghetti sauce. My own mother was a nutritionist and she was tricked by this. We now learn, Haley, that Doritos are for a treat, right? Soda is for a treat. So we know, we've learned nutritional ways to eat. And the food pyramid was basically a scam. The food pyramid was basically a scam. 12 servings of carbohydrate, eight servings of meat, so I will share with dentistry, look to build your own life treatment plan around these four things and get as much insight as possible about them and meet other dentists who can help you. I always say ABC, always be connecting. Nobody likes the dentist. We might as well like each other. I just hope to be part of the solution for building a world where dentists are kinder to each other, kinder to themselves. Think of their career like the business it should be because your business needs to stay in business for you to help people. Be proud to sell help. We have, we have a misconception about selling. If it was raining outside, Haley, and I said, here's an umbrella, do you want to buy it? You'd say, thank you for having this umbrella. This is what we do all day long with people. We should be proud of it. This tooth is broken. I can help you by selling you something 
to make you chew. Awesome. Your denture flops around and falls out your granddaughter's recital and you're embarrassed. I can totally sell you something to help you chew better. And reframing this to sell as human. I, I know you like books. The last thing I'll say is read and listen to the book to sell as human by Daniel Pink. Probably the best thing a dental student could be. And if we can help you at Dental Nachos in any way, I'm always here to do so. Great. Thank you so, so much for your time today. I really do appreciate it. And yeah, I just want to say thank you again. My pleasure, Haley. You're really inspiring with what you're doing. Uh, thanks so much for having me. Alrighty, that is the end of this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed. Next week, we're going to have another guest, and his name is Tom, and he is the CEO of Dental Stores. So I was actually connected with Tom through Dr. Paul Goodman and Dental Nachos, and essentially, Dental Stores is a company that provides e-commerce platforms for dentists as well as dental membership and saving plans platforms so that you can integrate that into your office and offer that to your patients. It definitely goes well beyond that and is still something I'm working on fully understanding all the benefits of, but that's why next week's episode will be so great for everyone to listen to, to learn more about how dental membership saving plans can really benefit a dentist, whether you're a specialist or a general dentist, and how it can allow you to treat patients, help them save money, but do all of this without working with insurance. That's the big thing there. So I hope you're all looking forward to that episode next week and I will talk to you next Monday.